Movies and TV are obsessed with the notion of time machines. Back to the Future, Doctor Who, Harry Potter, Star Trek, Napoleon Dynamite, Avengers, Deja Vu, Tenet, Interstellar, Men in Black, and of course, the cinematic masterpiece, Hot Tub Time Machine. All posed to viewers the question of, what if you could go back and change something about the past? All it takes is something as easy as stepping into this machine that breaks the space-time continuum, then poof, let's rewrite this story. Alternatively, movies and TV always portray the future to be this scary unknown world, specifically where technology will be our downfall. I Am Legend, World War Z, Blade Runner, The Terminator, Eagle Eye, Matrix, Inception, and the countless documentaries of the 2010s that warn about the dangers of technology. So the fictional narrative is that technology has the ability to end society, but also the ability to go back in time and save it. Seeing as though I can't go back in time and choose to not break my wrist, or I don't have a fear of a robot taking me out, right, Jeff Bezos and Elon? Anyway, um, both of these narratives are nonsensical. Yet, why do we love them so much? As humans, we love to feel like we are in control of our own destiny. Like we have the power to chart our own course, according to our own rules and with our own map. When things don't work out our way, we love to say, Ah, if I could just have that moment back, I would. You would what? And then that leads to what, which leads to what, and on and on. The past couple of years, I've spent a great amount of time reading about history. Specifically, when examining the beginnings of America, no founding father could have imagined what our country would look like now. They were just trying to build a new nation, based on pitfalls of old ones. Alexander Hamilton's writings of the Federalist Papers are littered with examples of the Roman Empire and Britain's monarchy. He was trying to use the past to imagine a different future, not change the past to guarantee a better future. The truth is, we simply don't know what our future holds. We can try as much as possible to ease the uncertainty with modern innovation But who is to say that makes it easier? The only thing that is certain is the past and the ability to use its lessons in the present. The past remains our primary source of connecting the dots. To give a personal example, the other day my dad was retelling me the several decisions that led to him going to college in Nashville, where he ultimately met my mom. And it began with my great-grandfather. And all of the, excuse my southern roots here, shoulda, coulda, wouldas in my family's history, I'm thankful for the result of those twists and turns. Otherwise, I might not be speaking to you on this podcast right now. So why are we so allergic to the past and quick to write it off as not applicable? It's funny because the conversation with my dad began with him describing a regret to me. But as the conversation kept flowing, the regret was long gone 
and he continued to chart the course of the actual decision and all the goodness it brought. Our environment might be rapidly changing around us, but humans have remained the same since the dawn of creation. Taking a time machine to change the past is elementary thinking. Using the past as we know it to help us in the present and create a better future is where we need to be. Welcome to the Dire Nits Podcast, a series on biographies and autobiographies. I'm going to try to figure out what my voice here is going to be in terms of um, inflection, storytelling, and that type of stuff. So bear with me as I kind of get that under control. But I also listen to a lot of pilot episodes of podcasts and just, just see how other people did it. And it is mostly informational. So that's just what I'm going to do. I'm just going to follow the mold of some other podcasts here. So and big goal of mine for this podcast, honestly, is to stop saying, um, like, and you know, so hopefully I'll beat that out of myself as I listen to these episodes back ad nauseum and, uh, I don't know, hopefully just get better at general speaking, but the Dire Nets podcast. So Dire Nets is going to be a podcast network that will be centered around a lot of my self study the past couple of years, I've really tried to foster the lifelong learner mindset. And that's what I do at Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which is the newsletter that I write, um, MWF at eight. So if you don't know what that outlet is, it's my uh, newsletter that I have used to write about general topics that I've self-studied over the past couple of years. And started it after school, uh, finishing up this lifelong journey of school, K through grad school and finished it and was like, is that it? Do I just go start a 40 year corporate career and just turn my life off from anything, uh, learning or anything that I could take in and just only consume, only consume, uh, junk media and just said no and wanted to learn about stuff that was still uh, beneficial. And so uh, I've been writing for the past couple of years on that platform. And uh, it's been really cool to see the fruits of that. And I love writing and it'll always be probably my preferred choice of communication. But it's, it's no secret that podcasting and audio are oftentimes more convenient on certain topics. So Dire Notes is going to be a podcast venture underneath the MWF brand to continue the pursuit of sharing ideas. And specifically, this podcast channel will feature in-depth looks at biographies and autobiographies of some of the world's most renowned figures. Uh, we're going to dissect the circumstances they faced and see if we can uncover some modern day practical applications. And I wanted to start with the thought of just me getting into reading in general. 
Um, I used to hate to read. And the name Dire Notes is a play on the concept of Cliff Notes and Spark Notes. If you were to look at my most viewed websites from like seventh grade to 12th grade, I would say Cliff Notes and Spark Notes would be overwhelmingly in the top five. I mean, I would scour those websites. I'd scour any website that I possibly could to just read a condensed summary of a, call it 200 page book. And looking back, I just, I laugh now because of how much that I've now just enjoy reading. I mean, it, it got so bad that I used to, like my mom had to sit me down one day and she started just reading uh, chapter by chapter to me. I think I was in the seventh grade. Like that's how embarrassing and bad it was. Um, would sit in my room and just stare at the ceiling and waste time thinking, how can I pass this test or this assignment and not read this book? So I don't know when it clicked, but I think it just clicked as soon as I started reading stuff that I enjoyed. And I love basketball. So I read a bunch of basketball books and then that sparked just general uh, interest in business books. So, you know, at one point, a couple of years back, I thought I was going to be the greatest business professional. So why not just scour all the business books that I could, which now I see how elementary that thinking was. And business books are one of my least favorite genres, neither here nor there. But I think I got into the love for history books or biographies and autobiographies whenever I got the opportunity to see the play Hamilton early 2020 and was so amazed that somebody could write a play based off of a biography. So I sat down to read the biography that Ron Chernow wrote that the play is based off of and just to kind of fill in the gaps of the play. And I was blown away by how much conflict there was in this one man's life that was a founding father of our country. And I think the same can be said about our lives. You look back the past couple of years, especially with COVID and you can be like, oh yeah, okay. I overcame a lot of conflict recently, but it's hard to see in the day to day. And as humans, we love conflict. We only really consume conflict in the forms of media that we watch and read. And if you, I love this example that Jonathan uh, Gottschall writes in his book, The Storytelling Animal. He says, in one collection of familiar nursery rhymes, a critic counted eight murders, two choking deaths, one decapitation, seven cases of severed limbs, four cases of broken bones, and more. And in a different study, researchers found that contemporary children's TV programs have about five violent scenes per hour, while read aloud, nursery rhymes had 52. And so even children, like our nursery rhymes that we read to our kids are all conflict-based. A lot of them uh, fatal conflict-based. And it's just, it's crazy how that is ingrained in us. And if nursery rhymes tell a story is better with conflict, then it's in everything. 
no one's trying to poison a baby's minds with these stories intentionally. Instead, it's just a foreshadowing of a long life enriched with stories of, of conflict. And what makes a good story is that conflict portrayed. So tell me if you would see this movie. There was once a woman named Anne. Anne had an outstanding job. Suddenly, Anne got a promotion. It was a great year for Anne and scene. There's no way you would see that. Within that story, Anne would have to overcome insane circumstances, even to consider reading the description on Netflix. The description would have to say something like, woman overcomes incredible prejudices, gender biases, and becomes first CEO of company, something along those lines. It's hard for us to grasp because we avoid conflict in our own lives, yet we seek it out in the lives of others. It's this strange strategy that we have. It's so entertaining to watch reality TV where it's just all conflicts and fights and drama. And then the first sign that it happens to us on social media or with friends and family, like I can't sleep at night. (laughs) And so... Um, an example that I always give and it's really hit me home later in life, but, and again, another family example here, I think I'm going to slowly get off these as I start talking to people that are talking about figures that are in no way my family, but one Christmas, my grandfather, uh, one of the last Christmases that, uh, I remember him being at he came up into the bonus room and saw um, my brothers and my cousins and I playing call of duty. And it was one of the early ones. This was back probably in mid two thousands. And he was pretty disappointed and said to us, he said, boys, you know, that's, that's not how it was. Like war wasn't fun. They're portraying it to be fun. It was not. And this is a man that was directly affected by this conflict and it was not entertaining to him at all. Where versus I was 70 years removed from this conflict. I was, it was entertainment to me at that age. And I think this is the type of mindset that we have to have when studying these historical figures is the conflict that they endure is not for our entertainment. It is in a sense in that it's exciting to imagine and, see the resolution, but it's also important to step back and relate that to our own lives and see how their ability to decipher conflict set them apart from ordinary people. And so the flip side of the coin to all this uh, studying biographies and autobiographies is that I really don't like spending too much time engulfed in somebody else's life. It can get exhausting and then I step back and think, well, I kind of like my own life and reading intro or reading books and topics that are maybe more geared to what I'm doing. But it's also, I relate it to the typical mindset that I always had to my parents of, uh, my mom and dad are such idiots. They don't know anything. Sorry, mom and dad. But and then all it takes is living a few more years until I'm like, oh, okay, maybe my parents knew a thing or two or everything. And so, 
that's that's the reason why I believe um, history is just so important because humans have lived the same lives of conflict for for years, and um, I think that there's just so much value in it. But it that also means I'm not gonna study historical figures that it was just kind of like all fun and play and games. If you take Matthew McConaughey's uh, latest book that he published called green lights, I think it was a popular read last year in 2021 or, but I'm always skeptical of how much autobiographies embellish and we'll get into that as we study them. But especially one where it's a life lived with just lavishness and entertainment and fun and crazy things because that's just ultimately not what life is for millions of people and ulysses s grant making zero luck farming during a depression and having to pawn many of his valuables until a few years later the war breaks out and he's asked to be a colonel in the union army it's just these stories where people went through hard, tough conflict and came out on the other end are a little more inspirational to me and more applicable overall. So I wanted to take a second and just dive into the podcasting industry as a whole. I think it's important. It was important for me just to revisit it and see how big audio and podcasting has become. And then also to relay it to my audience to um, maybe give a couple pointers of why podcasting and audio uh, is beneficial. And I love how accessible content creation tools are. All I did to launch this podcast was buy a microphone, open my MacBook, re-download GarageBand from who knows when, and start recording my voice. Finally, upload it to the internet. And just because it's easy to start and it's fun to do does not mean the product will be good. So I use the example that I go and play pickup basketball at my local community center every so often and it's fun and really easy for me, but I'm not really that great anymore. Uh, Why? Because I haven't practiced or prepared to play basketball regularly since high school. And seeing as most of the other guys in the gym that I play with haven't either, no one is really lining up to buy a ticket and watch us play. Like the streets of Madison, Tennessee, where I play, like nobody's being like, oh man, the marquee pickup game this Saturday. Got to make sure I, uh, I'm there in the stands. And so it's an overall indication of how big preparation is. So similar to that example, podcasting is only good whenever I can tell the host has taken time to prepare and deliver quality content. And interviewing in in and of itself is its own separate art form. But just sitting down and talking into a microphone, I can already tell will require some getting used to and maybe a good amount of time to get good at. It's it's kind of daunting to sit here not and know that I, I don't have a guest. I can't just throw a question at somebody and it's just me delivering uh, a message. So it's 
writing to me again has always been the epitome of clear, effective communication. And whenever I sit down to write, I'm shocked at how many different ideas I'm able to parse through. But there's something I've always found that tremendously helps me in writing, and that's good conversation. Being able to hang around intellectually curious people and bounce ideas off of them is one of my favorite writing tools. There's nothing better than sitting down you know, over a cup of coffee or grabbing a drink with a friend or you know, meeting a couple at dinner and just being able to sit and talk and get their perspective on life and why they're taking some paths they are or what their thoughts are on a specific topic. And so conversation is key to broadening perspectives, engaging other voices, developing reasoning and the like. And the theory of podcasting and audio that I've heard be thrown around the past a uh, couple of years is kind of bringing back the town square. You, you know, you think of an old town in the 1800s where, you know, somebody would get up on, on a stool in the town square and just start shouting rhetoric about the war or about voting or about, or about any issue. And so that's kind of what I want to do, not yell at you like somebody would on a town square about my political views, but I just want to, uh, deliver my thoughts as if we were sitting down over a conversation and um, talking just candidly. And so this form of podcasting, just the solo me talking and describing events, I'd say it's closer to writing than it is to conversation in a sense that I would love to have guests on in the future. But as I'm doing these solo episodes, it's, it's similar to parsing out my thoughts in an article. Um, I mentioned this because I don't want to lose the uniqueness that podcasting brings in that if it's you and a guest and you're, you know, you kind of get the randomness and the serendipity of a conversation where versus mine's going to be more structured. And so I kind of want to still combine the two. So being the accountant mindset that I have. I went and found some data on podcasting and just wanted to share a few stats here. So the podcasting market was valued at 15.6 billion in 2021 and is expected to be a $20 billion industry at year end 2022. So revenue is at 1.73 billion projected for 2022. And to give you an idea, video streaming overall is at 80 billion. So 44% of Americans 12 and older had listened to a podcast in 2018. And that number is at 57% in 2021. 41% of Americans listen to a podcast monthly, 26% are weekly listeners. There are over 2 million podcasts, which I was pretty shocked by. Again, it's I'm already finding that it's hard and it's not going to be like an, the easiest endeavor ever, but with how easy it is, I figured that there would be just, I don't know, maybe more out there. But then this next number kind of describes it is there's around 500,000 active podcasts. And to give you an idea, there's 37 million YouTube channels. And so I love YouTube. I think it's incredible, the learning resources on there and the entertainment factors 
unmatched, but I listen to podcasts way more, uh, mostly because of ease. YouTube's always made it pretty tough to just kind of listen to a video, which has never been natural. And that's where podcasts have really um, fit in. And then I just love to put all this into perspective. So 500,000 active podcasts, 37 million YouTube channels. And then to put into perspective how big TikTok is, there are 100 billion average monthly views on TikTok, which is just mind-blowing. But anyway, um, homes, commutes, work, and working out are the top four places to listen to a podcast, which um, is funny because Holmes was the largest and that's probably the least that I've listened to a podcast. I'm definitely commute work and working out. The average show time is about 25 to 30 minutes. I enjoy longer form podcasting. I'm looking at the time here now and I'm already at 25 minutes. And so that's kind of why I'm choosing subjects with lots of information. I don't know my specific schedule of delivery of content here, uh, which is tough. Writing, I liked to have a schedule at first just so I would build the discipline of writing. Writing is a muscle and you kind of have to exercise it every day to be able to um, have good writing and I'm still working on that. And so I don't, I can't give a clear schedule, but I just, I enjoy longer form podcasts with kind of a deep dive on a subject, which is kind of what I've tailored my writing to towards the past couple of years. So, um, and it's a very saturated market. I think that there's a stat that, um, 80% of the listeners only listen to, um, like 1% of the podcast, which is not too shocking. You have the behemoths, the Joe Rogan's, the true crime, the top sports podcast and, and then you've got all the other 499,000 active podcasts that are very, uh, very niche and siloed to their uh, audience. And so why do they work? They fit almost every lifestyle. I mean, literally everyone now has earbuds and a smartphone and you can throw on a podcast for so many different scenarios and listen to a couple minutes worth and get some knowledge on a topic. It's pretty cool. And then there's just a podcast community for everyone, even doing some light research on this. Um, there wasn't, spoiler alert, our first episode is going to be on the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, but there wasn't much information on him as I looked, but certainly a lot of just early revolutionary time period podcast out there. And so I love when somebody sends me their own little corner of the internet. Uh, it's shocking and it's new and it's like, wow, this exists out there. So this is just me kind of carving out my own corner of the internet creation wise. So lastly, with Dire Notes podcast, a series on biographies and autobiographies, I got to get my voice inflection down because I'm so excited, but I don't know what the proper podcasting cadence is. I will figure it out. Um, so big finish here. The three things I want this podcast to increase in you. 
Number one, increased optimism. I am so optimistic for the future. I truly am. I think that we're living in the greatest time period in human history. There's so much to be discovered. We've never been more flexible in our lives and it's just overall incredible. And I hope to hone in on my storytelling with how much I will harp on the conflict of these people's lives because that's how you appreciate the high times is by how you handle the low times. And we go through them a lot in our day and age, especially with the rising crisis of mental health or pandemics or worldwide conflict in our global world, but, or our global connectedness. And so I think just harping on some of the struggles more so and seeing how it did turn out will be really good for the audience and me in general in that, yeah, we, I can deliver it in a lighthearted way because in the end, the result was a success. And I think if we keep our, our mindset on the optimistic more so than the pessimistic, in this series, it will only help us. So number two, I hope that this podcast will increase your knowledge. My absolute favorite Lincolnism, um, speaking of Abraham Lincoln here, for those of you who don't know, um, have a long way to go in this podcast if you didn't pick up on that. But anyway, uh, is Lincoln was famous for the unsent letter. And he was constantly dealing with diva generals in the Union Army, cycling through uh, egos and different agendas. And Lincoln would oftentimes be presented with bad news in his study. And he would sit down and write a letter to the receiver, whoever, uh, whatever conflict he was dealing with. And it would be as brash and as mean and as just his true raw feelings in the moment. Then he would just get up and take a walk. He'd walk around the grounds of the White House or wherever setting that he was in. And he would come back, sit at his desk with a, a clear mind. And he would take the note that he previously had written and rip it up and throw it into the fire and pen a new letter with less emotion and more understanding of this scenario to try to get the other party to do what Lincoln would want to do, but in, but in more of a mutual understanding. And so I would have never have discovered that if I didn't study Lincoln and his philosophies. And it's one of my favorite practices that I've put into uh, modern day is anytime that I'm mad, frustrated, angered about something, I can sit down and write an article. I can write a thousand words on it pretty quickly, but then it's going back and looking at those emotional thousand words and sifting through it and seeing what is true. And then what how to get my point across most effectively is really hard. And so, so yeah, so point two, just increase knowledge on these little practices or just 
overall historical knowledge. And then the number one thing is an increased awareness. So things don't just happen in life. I'm sure that you're aware of that, but the reminder is always necessary. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and just happen to luck into a new car. Likewise, I'm not going to get the next job promotion by simply showing up. You'll quickly find out the amount of time, diligence, and dedication successful historical figures have spent on their craft. It is mind-blowing. Already through, again, spoiler alert, a little bit on Benjamin Franklin and the amount of time that he spent writing is, I mean, it is crazy. Franklin has a good quote even. He says, diligence is the mother of good luck. The man lived through the whole revolution and at the end concluded the U.S. was just simply more diligent. And so wherever you are in life, know that diligence you put in today will make your tomorrow better. And it's these lessons that can only be taught through history and the application and seeing how they can produce results in your own life. So with that, I think that is all for episode zero, our little pilot episode here. So I can't wait to uncover more. And until then, may the great shepherd guide your ways. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.